0: The scripture reading today is Psalm 5, and it can be found on page 500 of the Bible's next to your seats, as well as it'll be displayed on the screen. Psalm 5. This is God's word. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous, who surround, you surround them with your favor as with a shield. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. God of grace, as we come into a room and sit down in a space that's used by all kinds of other groups, and we might know this space from it being a a store or from a place we saw we saw a concert here once or something we just drive by once in a while or walk past. But this morning as we come in it becomes a place where people from all different walks of life sit together and look in the same direction. We look towards you. And we look with all of the variety of experiences we have. We look with our lack of faith, with our doubt, with our questions or skepticism. We look towards you with, uh, with hope perhaps and others of us look with just grief and struggle and pain and loss and from all these different places whether it's thankfulness or crying out to you faith or doubt the truth is we sit here with one thing in common we're more of a mess than we care to admit and the story that we're entering into and that we're hearing from today tells us that in Christ, through your Son, Jesus, we are actually more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. And so as broken and fragmented and, and, and frayed and frail people, we look for the new identity given to us through Jesus, and we wonder if it might be true and if we might live in it. Help that grace to, to speak to us this morning, right where we need it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in, um, in, in 1965, right at the, in the height of the meteoric rise of the Beatles, uh, John, Len, John Lennon scrambled home. Uh, he, he was given a task of, uh, of writing a song, I think, to, to fit an album or a movie that was going to be made of them. And, and um, so he started to pen the words to this song, or so the story goes. Um, that, that he, he wrote this song that night and it was called Help. And with a little bit of help from uh, Paul McCartney on the melodic parts of it, the this, this song was born, Help. So this is how it goes if you haven't heard it yet. Of course, you've you got to go home and listen to it. If you've never heard this song, come on. Get with the times. Greatest rock band ever. Please, go home and listen to the song. Uh, Help, I need somebody, help, not just anybody, help, you know I need someone, help. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days are gone and I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and opened up the doors. Help me if you can, I'm feeling down. I know some of you are singing it right now in your head. And I do appreciate you being round. Help me get my feet back off the ground. Won't you please, please help me? That was totally unplanned. I don't know what just happened. a little embarrassed now. And now my life has changed in oh so many ways. My independence seems to vanish in the haze. But every now and then I feel so insecure. I know that I just need you like I've never done before. I... I like those words a lot. I was pleasantly surprised. I thought of that song, I thought maybe that relates to this, this prayer for help. And then I read the lyrics and I went, man, I'm you know, that is, that's gold. That's sermon gold. The Beatles. I, I was looking into it and, you know, the Beatles, I, I didn't realize how short their span was as a band. I think it was just um, basically 64 to 70 and then the breakup happened. Um, well, at least they're, they're, they got popular in 64, right? Um, And so by the time you get to the the year I was born, 1977, um, you know, it was all, people, those people used to scramble home and open up those records and put them on the record player and lay on the couch and listen to the new Beatles album. You know, they were hard up for new material until they put out, they released this album in 77 called Live at the Hollywood Bowl. And it was just recordings from 1965, you know, when they were still playing concerts and... And so just just a chance to hear uh, to sell another album, I guess. But this song was on that album, um, "Help." And it, we're looking at prayer this season of Lent, and we're considering um, what it looks like to, to to dig deeper into prayer. What does it look like to be shaped by prayers of the Bible? We look at this prayer, Psalm five, and it um, and it's really a good basic prayer in a sense, a prayer for help, that it's a one-word prayer, it's a very powerful way to pray. The idea that you look to God and you say help, and yet to do that, to have a deep, true conversation in which you're going to God, asking for help, I think there are, there are a few conversions, epic shifts in our hearts and in our lives that we have to make that are in this psalm, Psalm 5. So let's look at three conversions, really, that the psalm helps you consider. There's the conversion to dependence, the conversion to God's justice, and the conversion to God's grace. Dependence, justice, and grace. Let's look at dependence. Most of us are way more comfortable with independence, in the mode of independence. See a problem? We got it covered. We make a game plan. It's pretty hard for us to just yield and say, I'm dependent like the um, the guy who had this really important meeting in San Francisco. In fact, a lot of his career he was thinking was going to hinge on this one business meeting in San Francisco and so he had to drive from Sacramento and he left plenty of time. Traffic was a little tough but he was still on time, still had a little cushion and came over the bridge and got off into downtown San Francisco and then he realized he hadn't left enough time to find a parking space. So there he is circling around four, five times and now that that 15-minute buffer has been completely burned up and finally in desperation, I mean, this is an incredibly important meeting, he rolls down his window and shouts out, God, if you give me a parking space right now, I'll start going to church every week. I'll start giving 10% of my income to your work. I'll stop drinking as much on the weekends. I'll start paying more attention to my kids and my wife he starts to roll up his window and almost before it gets to the top, the space right in front of the door, right in front of him, opens up and a car drives out and as he gets in position for it, he rolls the window back down and says, never mind, I found one myself. <laughs> I love that, Jay, it's so unexpected. But that's exact, I mean, if, you, if, if you're human, that's not unexpected, right? Oh, never mind, looks like I got to cover myself. So difficult, so easy to live a life of, of independence and just everything that comes your way, I, I, I'll, handle I'll handle this, this is in my court. And that's all fine and good until all of a sudden, cancer comes way too close to home. Or, or death. Or you experience your third miscarriage. And suddenly everything's starting to shift in terms of what you thought life was going to look like. You lose your job in the midst of a recession. You lose your retirement income you built up over all those years. Or the person you married a decade or two in starts to, well, let's just say getting along isn't as easy as you thought it was going to be. Or, you know, find out your teenager is cutting. Now what? And suddenly, um, you know, the words of Lenin. How do those words go? And now my life has changed in oh, so many ways. My independence seems to vanish in the haze. I have a friend who um, put it one just marvelously. I'll never forget what he said to me once. Um, he said, people don't actually know what they believe until they meet a problem that they can't solve. Psalm 5 is saying, listen to my words. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. Because God's view of things, if you want to say God's theology of life that he wants desperately for us to live into and express is a theology that is basically you are dependent and that is the correct way to go about everything. I need help. There's this great, um, this great place in a book. And one of my favorite books is a, a memoir by someone named Cupcake Brown. Her actual name, Cupcake Brown. And as she goes through all these terrible things in life, and just it starts off terrible and it gets even worse, and all the things she's had to come out of and go through. She gets to a point, and this is what she writes So I decided to talk to God right then and there, just like I was. No religion. No prayers or holy verses. No rules, no deals, no bargains. Just me with all sincerity asking for help. I really didn't have a choice because if he couldn't help me, I was surely screwed. I cleaned it up for you a little bit. See, now you want to buy the book. I didn't really have a choice. If he couldn't help me, I was surely screwed. That is extraordinarily deep and good theology according to Psalm 5. And the truth is, I can say with confidence that every single person here needs to rely on God's help more in some particular place in your life right now. Every single one of us has something that we need to turn to that area of our life and if we are going to have a deep, honest conversation with God, we're going to look at that area and go... I need to give over the reins in this area more. I need, there needs to be a dialogue that has begun where I'm looking for help. If he can't help me, I'm screwed. Conversion to dependence. There's also in this psalm a conversion to justice. And I'll tell you, right off the bat, as you look at this psalm, it's, it's a bit of a turnoff. Maybe some of you, as we read, as I read that, and then I said the word of the Lord, you maybe didn't want to say thanks be to God because there was a lot of talking about the bloodthirsty and deceitful people, the wicked, the evil ones, the arrogant, and basically saying, I mean, these are some harsh words. Declare them guilty, O God. Banish them for their many sins. Um, we, don't, we don't really like to... Um, put people in categories like that do we you don't picture it being a really strong fully orbed spiritual path to be one where you're walking around going that person's an evildoer god banish them <laughs> right that's not that's not hitting you well this morning probably now that of course isn't what's what this is saying um you can, you can certainly for a stretch of life maybe be a little bit naive and say, oh, yeah, well, I never want to categorize someone as an evildoer, as wicked, or someone who I wish God would banish. But you'll, you'll meet someone in life. You'll have someone who you already have, or maybe next week it'll happen. And then you'll start, to, you'll start to kind of relate to these words. I don't know if you saw the movie Nebraska. Anybody see that movie? A great movie just came out, nominated for six Oscars. It didn't just come out, but it's very recent. And as this old man thinks he's won a million dollars because of a sweepstakes letter that's totally bogus, and he's convinced of it, and so eventually he makes his way back to his hometown with his son. His son is kind of humoring him in this whole venture. And what do you know? He can't keep his mouth shut. Everybody finds out he's he's won a million. They all believe it. He's won. A, he's a millionaire, and the vultures start swarming. You know, and suddenly this old business partner named Ed Pegram starts cornering the son and then cornering both of them. And Eventually he's trying to blackmail them by saying, I know some stuff about you that you don't want to get out to get the money. This is an old business party partner blackmailing him for money. And then when he finds out that he didn't really win, then he's publicly making mocking and humiliating him. I'm sorry, but when you look at that character, when you look at him, you say, you know what? In life, you are going to meet an Ed Pegram. Isn't that a great name for a character like that? Ed Pegram. Just kind of, it just fits. You're going to meet some Ed Pegrams in your life. You're going to meet them and, and you're going to suddenly go, How, what? Can someone really for no reason have it in for me at work? Or maybe, you've, maybe growing up, you look back and go, could someone who was entrusted with my care really have treated me like that? How could they do that? Kind of processing wounds of childhood or just a neighbor and you say what on earth has gotten into that person it's like they're against me they're calling the cops for no reason you know what what is going on why are they so mad and and there are people who are going to torment you they're going to try to keep you from getting the promotion they're going to badmouth you to others they're going and you're going to go none of that is it doesn't seem like any of it's deserved it's coming from nowhere you've met an ed pegram and you're going to find some comfort in the words of psalm five and let me tell you why because, uh, let me tell you what Psalm 5 is doing that is unique, that is actually deep, on a deep spiritual level. It's because in the movie Nebraska, Woody's son, the millionaire, supposed millionaire's son, when he gets an opportunity and he looks Ed Pegram in the face, he lays him on the floor with a right hook. And when you watch that, you've got all the satisfaction in the world. You watch that and you are just pumped. You're like, Yes! This is a great turn in this movie. I mean, it it feels so good when you've seen how this guy is treated. And all of us, that is the feeling when you meet an Ed Pegram in your life, that's what you're going to want to do. You want to strike out. You you don't want to pray to God to banish him. You want to banish him. Psalm 5 entrusts the wickedness and the evil of this world to a greater judge. And there's some freedom and some honesty to just say, god this looks like the kind of person that is against all the good that you stand for. And my thought is, my recommendation in a sense is that you get rid of him now, you know, bring on the lightning. I mean, that's there's this feeling like there's this feeling like this is wrong. This is something god should be against. You'll feel that way and you'll be comforted that that's a legitimate way to bring it not to that person but to God. And as one theologian that I was reading this week, as, as, uh, he commented on this passage. put it wonderfully. What is going on in this kind of a prayer? He says, The prayer against the enemies, which is a very common thing in the Psalms as a whole, by the way. If you're going to read through this book of Psalms, get used to these kinds of passages. The prayer against enemies is a way of saying that in time and experience of the one who prays, there seems to be no other course for the righteousness of God to take. Then he goes on to say, at other places in the Old Testament and clearly in the career of Jesus, the Messiah, God reveals that there are other courses to take. And that makes a difference in the way one prays. In a sense, it's, it's the easiest, shallowest thing to strike out, to get back, to be, try to commit the banishment yourself it's a deeper, weightier entrusting when you say God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this in your court I'll, I'll add my recommendations but I'm going to admit that I might not like your response, I might not like your patience with people who I think you should have got rid of who I think you should have just got out of my life and maybe I'll learn something from your patience as well Conversion to God's justice. That's a very difficult point. I probably haven't even come close to answering all your qualms with how this psalm felt to you when I read it, but maybe a start. Conversion to dependence, a conversion to God's justice, and a conversion to grace. You notice in in verse 7, everything just gets really complicated and very confusing when all of a sudden, in this prayer, the words are, but I, by your great love, can come into your house. And now... Now we see that it, it, this is all a mystery. This is all very difficult to balance together all of these things. There is wicked and evil that comes at you that um, is very much out of place in God's good world. And, and it, may even, it may happen when your heart is in, the, in a very good place and they don't legitimately have anything against you. There's, there's evil in this world. Then there's another part in this psalm. God judges evil. God, that does not go well with God. He, he's a, the judge of evil. I'll just say it. And then there's this reality that even though that's true, even though this person is saying, hey, I, you know, I'm in a place where my heart's in the right place. I just want to follow you and this person's doing me wrong. And yet, what, is, what does this person say? What does the psalm teach us to pray? I, by your great love, can come into your house. You know what that means? That means I'm not working my way to you either. The wickedness, you know, this is very, very much throughout the whole Bible, the wickedness is touching my own heart. And though I might have a moment of being in the right place and having the right intentions and praying a good prayer, the truth is the only reason I'm able to stand before you and recommend banishment to that guy is because you've opened the door with your grace in the first place. I love that line, and but I, by your great love, can come into your house. It all comes down to grace. And so you see, even in the Old Testament, even before we know of Jesus, people already know, the people that God has kind of revealed himself to, the people who are writing these scriptures, where this all comes from, these people already know that God is the kind of God who is constantly looking for doors to open to let us in. This is a God who's always looking for ways to suspend and reroute legitimate judgment. Put it off a little more. Find a way to open a door instead. They already knew that about God. And what do we know even more? That finally, God comes himself to permanently, definitively open up the door to all of us. And if you're going to converse deeply with God, the whole conversation, you have to realize, the whole conversation rests on verse 7. I'm only here. I'm only able to converse with you because of your grace. I already have to admit grace as soon as I'm beginning to talk to you. Because in Jesus, definitively, definitively for you, God didn't just suspend or reroute judgment. He didn't just kind of delay it. He actually took it on himself and experienced it and went through it so that your confidence level grows even more in grace. As Martin Luther, the great reformer, said over 400 years ago, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. And this is coming from Martin Luther, whose who's big you know, epiphany, his big Eureka moment was to realize that he gets to God not by climbing his way there, but by God reaching down to him. In his quote, in fact, a very famous quote, talking about wrestling with Scripture and trying to wrestle with all this talk of grace and faith, and he says, "Then I grasped." And I'll end with this: "Then I grasped." that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy of God he justifies us through faith. He justifies you. And and Martin Luther says, thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. Let us pray. God, I pray that your grace will open up doors for us wherever we find ourselves today. and may feel, feel the way that Martin Luther felt, that everything shifts and changes and pivots in our lives when finally we don't just talk about grace or think about grace, but we actually get it and the penny drops. But we need your help. Help the penny to drop and for us to have those conversions we need towards dependence, towards trusting your judgment and living out of the wellspring of your grace. Amen.